Let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you again for gathering us together, a family drawn together in your Son, Jesus Christ, of one heart, of one mind, I pray. Help us, Lord, to listen to your word. Take it to heart. Lay it at your feet in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Genesis 1.1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 20 says, By him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is one of my favorite passages. It's it's just a good reminder that all this, everything we see, taste, feel, touch, everything, it's his. All creation is his. The church. I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about us. The church is his. Salvation is by him and through him. It's his. It all belongs to God and is under his authority. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Time itself belongs to him. In the book of Acts, we see that the Lord is inaugurating a new age. And this new age is his. It's a new age of grace, no longer under the law, because the law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. A new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ has been established. And he will begin to build his church. He has given them their mission. We talked about that in chapter 1 of Acts, right? To share the gospel message of his kingdom to the ends of the earth in order to reconcile to himself people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. And we we have before us today a movement of God's Spirit that begins the fulfillment of this mission. God pours out his Spirit upon his people. God gives gifts. God builds his church in his perfect timing. And yet, while all of this belongs to God, he, we see that he desires that we would be right there with him. That we would be right there, hands-on, in the work with him. In our passage today, we're going to see God's timing. We're going to see God's presence. 
And we're going to see God's empowerment, God's timing, God's presence, and God's empowerment of his church through the Holy Spirit. And then after that, we're going to look at how the disciples became participants in God's salvation plan. Go ahead and flip open to Acts chapter 2 if you haven't done that already. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Acts 2.1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear we hear each of us in his own native language. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Reading of God's word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and have a seat. God's timing is perfect. And we see this event happening in God's perfect time. Verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, and they were all together, Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise from the Father. Do you remember that in chapter 1, verse 4? It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So they wait. They wait for it to happen in, in his time. And they might be thinking as they're sitting there and, and day one goes by and they go, okay. And day two goes by, uh, okay. Day three, day four. Why is he making us wait? Why not just give us the Spirit and let us get to work, right? Sometimes we aren't good waiters. But we need to remember that his time is perfect. The day of Pentecost. Before it was the day that the Spirit was poured out upon the disciples, it was a more traditional day known by all the Jews as 50 days after the Passover. And in the Old Testament, it would have been the Feast of Weeks or uh, the Day of First Fruits. It's a harvest festival dedicated unto the Lord. Well, what's so special about that? Why wait for this day of 
Pentecost, this Feast of Weeks. Now, this is one of three festivals that the Lord gave to all Israel. He ordained it for them, and, and it brought all of the Jewish males back to Jerusalem. Exodus 23, verses 14 and, and 17. I skipped a little bit in the middle, but it says, Three times a year you shall keep a feast to me. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. See, on this day, the city of Jerusalem would have been just bustling with people, packed with people from every nation, every Jewish family that had been sent out to other nations, living in other places. They would have come back to Jerusalem if they were faithful Jews in any way, shape, or form. If we see, look at verse 5 of our passage here. It says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. From every nation, they were gathered there in that one place. See, in choosing this day, in this single event, the Lord established the groundwork for missions to reach the ends of the known world. Everywhere the disciples would go now, people would have heard what had happened on this day as they would have carried the story out from Jerusalem back to the nations where they had come from. And people's hearts would be prepared with some amount of knowledge that something was going on there in Jerusalem. Something new was happening. What was God doing? And so the soil is prepared to receive this new age of grace, this new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ because they would have already become familiar with the gospel. See, God's timing is perfect, isn't it? He chose just the right day and just the right time to pour out his spirit upon his people if they only waited patiently. Sometimes we think, why is he making me wait? I don't want to wait I got my seminary degree in, in 2000. And you hear stories of people coming out of seminary and they, they walk right into a senior pastorate and you sit there and you go, okay, Lord, that's my time now. Got that degree. 2001 goes by. Okay, 2002. 2003. 2004. It's 2005 already. It's 2017, Lord. Why is he making me wait? Well, he was preparing it. He was preparing me. He was preparing this church that we would be brought together. Just the right time, just the right place. And there will be a day, if not now, that we look back on our circumstances and we see what God has done and we will be in awe. Whatever your circumstance might be, whatever you are waiting upon the Lord for, we'll see how he, look, we'll look back and we'll see how he sovereignly worked out his perfect will for us in his perfect time for our greatest benefit. His timing is perfect. How do we know that God is in this though? How do we know that this is God's timing? 
God has made it very clear to us in the manifestation of his presence. God shows up in his spirit there in that place, there in that room with his disciples. Look at verse verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested upon each one of them. This wasn't just a breeze and a flash of sunlight through the curtains in the room full of people. This was the sound like a mighty rushing wind. Panuma. There's a good Greek word for you. It's the spirit. It's the word for spirit, and it can be used for wind or breath. We can see the power and presence of God in his breath or his spirit throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. His word, his breath, formed creation, formed the ground upon which we sit, stand. Ezekiel 37.5 says, Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Remember the dry valley of dry bones? This is what he says to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath. I will cause my spirit to enter you and you shall live. In the New Testament, we see in 2 Timothy 3.16 where it says all scripture is God-breathed. It's a combination of two words, God and spirit. All scripture is given by God's own spirit. The wind the breath of God, the Spirit of God was present with the disciples in this place with all the commanding power of God. And there were tongues as of fire in verse 3. And that fire is reminiscent of several Old Testament texts, but let's look at uh, the burning bush of Exodus chapter 3. Do you remember that occurrence? Moses is out to pasture, or at least he's pasturing the flock. And he turns around and he sees a bush and it's not burning up and yet it's on fire. And that fire was the very presence of God. That ground upon which Moses stood was holy. And God said, take off your sandals. The ground upon which you are standing is holy. And why was it holy? Because God was there. The angel of the Lord, that pre-incarnate Christ was right there, present, visually through that fire. Mount Sinai. Exodus 19. God descends upon Mount Sinai. It says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. Fire is very representative of God's own presence amongst his people. He led them through the desert with a pillar of fire by night, pillar of smoke by day. So through the sound of rushing wind and the presence of fire, God has made himself known. This is something that he is doing. Let it not be mistaken for the will of man or anyone else. The church and its cornerstone objective to spread the gospel message of Jesus Christ through his spirit-empowered church in order to reconcile himself, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, This is his. This is God's. 
This is not something we have done. This is a movement of God's own spirit. This is not something we have designed, not something we do in our own power or our own means. Sometimes we feel like we own this, don't we? We grab at power or control as if this church body should be doing our own will. As if this is a church that we have built and we maintain and we cause to do this or that. Shaping and molding the church to suit our own preferences or purposes. Oh, we can't, can't end that program. We might upset so-and-so. But Jesus calls this his church, his body, his bride. It is subject to his word and his will, not mine, not yours. And it is his power. His power that gives the church its strength, that gives the church its effectiveness, and that gives the church its gifts. We don't need to worry about upsetting so-and-so. We need to worry about upsetting or standing in the way of God himself, the God who gives the church its power and ability to reach the end of the earth with the gospel message, right? See, this is God's empowerment that he gives to us. Verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Where did we find the disciples at this time? What were they doing? Well, they were gathered together, right? Verse 1, it says they were all together in one place. They were probably praying or, or examining God's word together. They were probably doing some good things. What were they doing? They were sitting. Verse 2 says they were sitting together. Not doing a whole lot. They were waiting in obedience. That's a good thing. But they didn't have strength in their own to accomplish God's will for the church. Now let's remember who they were again. Who were they? They were uneducated. The, the people in the town recognized them right away as Galileans, right? Verse 7, it says, And they were amazed. The people were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? The people were astonished, confused. Galileans were typically farmers, fishermen, tradesmen. They, they were from a rural upbringing. They were not metropolitan. They didn't travel far from home. They were of a peasant class, weren't wealthy for the most part. How could they have possibly learned all of these different languages? Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, all of these. How could they have possibly learned all these down to regional dialects? They weren't just speaking English. They had that Philly accent down pat. You guys better listen to me, huh? Right? 
The Spirit enabled them to speak in tongues. They didn't previously know from places they hadn't previously been. The Spirit of God empowered them. He gave them the right gift at the right time to accomplish the task at hand. This is His. This is all God's. From the timing to the presence to the empowerment, this whole movement that we are now a part of is God's. If all this is God, of God, by God, for God, what does he need me for? Frankly, he doesn't need us. It's better than that. He wants you. He wants us. He desires that we participate in his salvation plan. He he wants that we should be instruments in our Redeemer's hands. And so far through this passage, we've looked at the fact that all this belongs to God. Now let's take a, a closer look at how the disciples took part in God's plan. What, what did they do? How did they do it? Well, the first thing they did was to receive the gift and the filling of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that it is indeed from God. Verse 4 tells us that they were filled. They were, they were waiting there in obedience for God, and they were filled. They received, they waited for it, and they received the gifts of God. And then in, in verse 11, we see they recognize that this is indeed from God as they declared the mighty works of God, right? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? Please take that question dearly to heart. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And if you have, you have God's Spirit alive in you. God is the living God, not the dead God. He is alive in you. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to humbly realize that God has given us gifts and He's given each of us different talents, different abilities. We are all different parts of the body, aren't we? Some of us can teach. Some of us can sing. You have musical gifts. Some of us work with our hands. Isn't there a work day coming up at some point? Be ready for that. He has given you time. He's given you provisions. He's given you finances. All of this. Everything we are, everything we have is from him. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? He knit us together with gifts. I didn't give birth to myself, thank God. He knit me together in my mother's womb. We didn't give ourselves the gifts. 
If we've done anything, if we've achieved anything, it was with the bodies, the time, the talents, all the things that he has given us in the first place. Anything and everything I am, anything and everything I have is his. And know this. Just as he called the disciples, he had them waiting for him in Jerusalem at just the right time. God has made you the right person in the right place at the right time. You individually are the right person in the right place at the right time. His timing is perfect. God doesn't make mistakes. He didn't make a mistake in you. He has you right where he wants you. Do you remember your soil, your sphere of influence lives? Have you made your list of 6 to 12 people that you influence on a regular basis? Your soil is yours for a reason. God has given it to you. It's your community, your friends, your family, your co-workers that no one else will connect to in the same way that you do. God didn't give it to someone else. He gave it to you. Next thing they did was to take that gift, that, that, those things that God had given them, out into that soil, out to the people that God had surrounded them with. They didn't stay sitting, did they? They went out into their community and proclaimed the glory of God. Sometimes we, we, we think or, or feel that we don't have anything we can do for anyone. How could I serve God? I'm just a warm body. Good! That too is a gift from God. Go hold a baby in the nursery. If you don't like to talk much, we have too many talkers sometimes, don't we? Go listen to somebody. There's lots of people who need a good listener. I don't have time to go and do. I, I work too much. Well, maybe God has given you that amazing job so that you can provide financially so that a missionary can be supported. Go, use those gifts. You have a mouth? Use it to pray with somebody. Find that one person in your soil who's going through a hard time and pray with them. You have a testimony. Use it to connect with others. Even the hardships, even the most difficult trials that we go through are ultimately gifts from God. See, you, through what you have gone through, the worst thing that you have gone through, you're not the only one who's gone through it. There is nothing new under the sun. You will be able to connect with someone somebody in this world, and share with them how you endure those trials. Maybe you still endure it, but how do you do that? You do that through God's love, knowing him and knowing that you are secure in Jesus Christ, and you can share that because you've gone through that hardship. And they need to know that. I can't connect with them over that issue, but you can I probably have my own issues that I can connect with people over. We all have gifts. We're called to go do something with them for the glory of God. 
let us beware of burying our gifts. Let us not waste the time that God has given to us. Did you see how they used those gifts in this passage? How they used the gift they received? They used it in a way that made them a curiosity. They, they could have shut their mouths as they figured out, whoa, I'm talking in a different language, and waited until they found somebody who spoke the same language, and then maybe somebody who matched them a little better, somebody who dressed like them or something, and they could have just subdued it and waited for some time a little more comfortable, a little less public. Did they do that? They got out there and they used that gift without hesitation. Do you see that word utterance in there? That word utterance in verse 4, it's that excitement. They are thrilled. That word for utterance is, is an exuberance. We've been given something. We know something. Let me share it with you. And what did they share? They shared in verse 11 the, the mighty works of God. Let me tell you what God is doing in my life right here and right now because God himself is amazing. Is, is God amazing to us? Is God more amazing than a 61-yard field goal? Because I tell you, I was in somebody's house when that happened. I was in the kitchen enjoying my cake, and the living room exploded. I was like, it's the second coming? What? Do we use, do we live our lives, use our gifts in ways that make us a curiosity to the world around us? How am I living in an outstanding way with the gifts, talents, time, and abilities that God has given me? Do we go so far with our gifts and outward expressions of love to one another? that at times it defies rational explanation? Or am I just kind of like everybody around me, comfy in my comfort zone? No, you see, what I do is I become like the world, as much like the world as I can, so that maybe I can reach one of them. Really? Becoming like the world is supposed to reach them? That's not what I see in Scripture. Uh, the world should see us and be like, you know, you're so old. What are you doing with those young people? Do you really like that rap music? And then you say, no, I can't stand that rap music, but I love them. It's a love that Jesus has put in my heart for them. So yeah, I'm going to go there and I'm going to listen to that stuff. Because I love them. You are so young. What are you doing with those old people? They've lived life. They have experiences. They have wisdom. They have stories to share, and I just love listening to that. I love them. It's a love that Jesus has put in my heart for them. Let me share it with you. Let me tell you why I'm like this. Why my life is a curiosity to you. And when they ask, we were ready to give them the gospel. 
Give the glory to God. Tell them the mighty works of God. The salvation that is in Christ and in Christ alone. When we live this way, the world will have a couple of reactions to us. Do you see verses 12 and 13? They, they will be curious, and they might be spiteful. Verse 12 says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? They're curious. They want to know. Verse 13, there's others mocking. They're filled with new wine. The miraculous alone will not save them. Good stories will not save them. A life lived in good Christian morality will not save anyone. If the passage ended right here, no one is saved. Not one. They're just curious or or mocking. No one will be saved apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need to hear the gospel. And they won't hear it from the media. They won't hear it on the internet. They'll hear it from us. Have we taken seriously our need to be prepared with the gospel? Prepared to give to every man an answer when they ask? Have you made that list of 6 to 12 people in your life? People to pray with and pray for. People who need Jesus. Let us be those who combine outstanding use of our gifts with a life that, that is curiously different from the world with a tongue that is fluent in the gospel message, that has practiced it. To live lives of curiosity, that we might give glory to God, passing the gospel message on, planting seeds in our soil, the soil that God has given you, the right person at the right place at the right time. And we might fill the gap Humbly understanding that this is God's. This is God's church. Humbly submitting ourselves to his will for us, for his church body. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. For you alone are God. You are the one who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. This is your church body, your bride. Lord, may we be prepared for you. Lord God, help us to to give to you praise, to give to you our gifts as a sacrifice of praise, to use them in ways that make people want to know us. It's easy to offend. It's hard to love. Lord, help us to love even the unlovable because, Lord, you loved us when we were unlovable. Lord, you gave us grace. So we praise you this morning. We praise you for these gifts and these things you've done for us. We praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.